0: You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your Otherworldly hosts, Alora Rain and Kitty Field. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, where we explore taboo and controversial topics in the witchcraft community. And be sure to pay a visit to my website, laurarain.com to grab a tarot reading, numerology, or soul origin profile. And now on to the show. There are two sides to everyone, a light side and a dark side. Our newest continuing series, We Call Heroes and Villains, seeks to better understand the many complex facets of the human experience, the good and the bad. The joy, love, and laughter, the greed, jealousy, and fear. In this series, we will meet various mystical figures from the past, many that have warranted much controversy over the years. Here on the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, we will tell the hero's tales. While over on our sister podcast, Mimir's Well, the same figure's villainous side will be investigated. This is to posit that any of us can occupy these roles simultaneously or be both and yet neither, no matter our portrayal in society. In today's first Heroes and Villains episode, we'll have tea with the heroic Queen of England, Anne Boleyn. So grab your cuppa and settle in.
1: Yes, madame.
0: I'm always stoked for podcast recording days. Me too. Uh, But I am particularly stoked for this series because this is like, this is my wheelhouse. Yeah. I'm excited. You always say that like there was one that you said was my
1: jam. Well, this one is definitely your jam and toast. (laughs) And toast. And tea. Crumpets. (laughs) Scones. Whatever it is that they have in England.
0: (laughs) Well, the first question on my list for this episode is, have you ever had a fascination with Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII, the Tudors, why or why not?
1: There was like a short period in time where I was kind of digging like the whole idea of Anne Boleyn's ghost, which I think Mm -hmm. we might get into. And I've done a little bit of research on it, but for whatever reason, I'm not super drawn to the whole Tudor thing. Interesting. How
0: about you? So I have had a past life in this era, specifically under Henry VIII, in mm-hmm. which I was a commoner, a poor person. Ah. <laughs> like It wasn't fantastical. <laughs> okay. Uh, but everything about this particular period fascinates me. Even like growing up, learning about it, all of that, you know, I was Yeah, I was into it.
1: I think the one thing that I do like about this time period that has to do with the Tudors and Henry VIII is the green sleeve song.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the best thing to
1: come out of it. It Basically, yeah.
0: Oh man. Okay, before we go in depth into Anne Boleyn's story, I want to know if you think that Anne had a magical or witchy
1: side to her. I don't know. I'm not convinced either way. To be honest, I think it's possible, but, mm. you know, we'll be going into all of the rumors and things.
0: I think there was, and I have my reasons, but the deeper we get into the podcast, mm-hmm. I think will reveal why I feel that way. <laughs> okay, cool. All cool. right. So why don't you tell us who Anne Boleyn was? She is probably the most controversial female
1: figure in English history or one of the most. Her name is ever-present in books, movies, TV shows, and it it paints a vivid picture of the Tudor dynasty and its part in the English Reformation. Basically, every time we think we have her figured out, though, as a historical figure, we quickly realize we don't because there's, like we said, a lot of controversy. People can go either way with her, which is also why we've chosen her for our Heroes and Villains series.
0: Mm. Yes, because she is... And you know what I find... I I have found that people who have really researched her and gotten into the history of her and gotten to know her from a historical perspective, they tend to have very strong opinions Mm -hmm. one way or the other. Yeah. Like there seems to be no gray area. (laughs) Oh,
1: well, I'm in the gray area. So maybe that means I haven't read enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying... From like mainstream historian perspective, there it's usually a pretty stark black or white answer.
1: Anne Boleyn was born sometime between 1501 and 1507. I know that's quite a difference in years, but there's really no set date for when she was born, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that is prominent that we don't know is exactly right. when right. she was born. Mm-hmm. She
1: was born to... Earl Thomas Bolin and his wife, Lady Elizabeth Howard. Both of her parents came from wealth and held positions of power, if you couldn't tell by their names, in English politics at the time. Anne was actually born in Blickling, but she grew up at the Bolin home called Hever Castle in Kent, which still stands to this day. You can actually do tours there. And it's a pretty amazing castle. I was kind of taking a look at it online. and I was like, wow, this is... So I recommend if you're in the area. unfortunately kind of what we've already said there's not a whole lot of information on when when she was born which kind of trickles into her childhood we don't know a lot about her childhood but we do know that she did spend some time in france approximately seven years maybe more starting in her teens and she served as an attendant to the french queen
0: which i believe the french queen was also related to her in some fashion I believe it. a lot of the royalty was related because they were always like, okay, how
1: do we keep peace between this country and us?
0: All right, let's send them our daughter. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. And there was a lot of inbreeding (laughs) among the royals, Ah. which we will get into in this podcast. (laughs) Yes. She actually acquired the
1: job of being the queen's attendant or one of her attendants through her older sister, Mary Bolin. Some claim that it was in France where Anne first crossed paths with Henry VIII. Apparently, he had gone to uh, France to meet with the French king, Francis I, when Anne first laid eyes on him. At this point, let's everyone remember that King Henry VIII was young, fit, and handsome, very tall. So she was drawn to him and his looks. I know in later years, things tend to change, but just putting that out there. <laughs> if anyone's, well, which seen, is- you know, the typical pictures of him, he's a hefty man.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't even know if there are existing portraits of him as a young man. I don't think so either, but the,
1: I don't the accounts so. say that he was once very tall
0: and fit. And I also know that in the case of Anne, There is only one surviving portrait of her. See, I didn't know that.
1: Eventually,
0: Anne's sister, Mary,
1: would return to England and left her to attend to Queen Claude for some time. Then in 1522, Anne also returned to England in preparation for a upcoming marriage to the Earl of Ormond. Apparently, this marriage didn't go through as planned. And so Anne Boleyn ended up flirting with another handsome young man named Henry Percy, and at this point, she had come to be an attendant in the court of the Queen of England. And at that point, it was Catherine of Aragon who was the current wife of Henry VIII.
0: And this is who he divorces. <laughs> oh, uh, well, kind of. Um, so,
1: <laughs> so Henry Percy didn't work out as well with Anne. I forget what happened, but he didn't. He didn't want to marry Anne for some reason. And so, at this at this point, Anne is being courted by King Henry VIII.
0: She's falling in love with him. Uh, I believe that she was secretly engaged to this Henry Percy or the Earl of Ormond, one of the other. But at that point, Henry was like, no, she's mine. And so he had Thomas Cromwell essentially be like, no, you're not (laughs) to the guy. Okay, that must have been Henry Percy because the, the Earl was the first guy that didn't work out. Yeah. So the guy that she, yeah, I believe it was Henry Percy. Okay. So the, that guy, when she was uh, the attendant to Catherine, that's when Henry really became uh, enthralled with her, felt in love with her. And so he had his, you know, Thomas Cromwell famously do away with Anne's love interest. And she was really brokenhearted over it, they say.
1: Oh, yes very kind of him. Right.
0: <laughs> Down with the patriarchy. <laughs> wow. It's a little
1: gross, but anyway. Okay. Continue. <laughs> so they start courting and it's believed that Henry asked her to be his mistress because he didn't want to split from Catherine at the time. Reportedly though, Anne wasn't having it. She said, well, I'm going to be your queen or nothing at all. So she denied his advances until he sought to permanently split from Catherine of Aragon. Yes. However. (laughs) However. (laughs) It wasn't so easy back then. The church didn't really believe in divorces. They didn't want to do any kind of a separation between Henry and Catherine. So it caused kind of a big uproar. It was, it was just not something that the King should have been doing back then, but you know, right. Henry had to have his way. So he, as as men do,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> essentially there's a split from Catherine and also Henry is splitting from the church at this point. Yeah. So he was like big done. (laughs) He literally was like, okay, you don't want to give me my divorce or my annulment, then I'm divorcing you. And this would actually eventually lead to the English reformation continuing on Anne and Henry apparently marry in secret. I don't know if this is like before the church knows, like maybe he didn't make the announcement yet to the church that, Hey, it doesn't matter. I married Anne anyway. Do you know maybe more about that?
0: Laura? I believe it, it ended up being like this long drawn out process because I believe Henry tried several times to get the church to back him mm-hmm. and eventually, and so he kept waiting and waiting for their answers. And I think that in that waiting, he became impatient and was like, you know what, uh, just whatever. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to do it anyway.
1: And at this point, when they're married in secret, Anna's actually with child.
0: And this is a big deal because Catherine never gave him a son. Right. And back then, you know, there there was no blood test or sonograms <laughs> that could tell you <laughs> if a baby was a boy or a girl.
1: No, they did the classic dangle the necklace pendant over the belly and see which way it swings.
0: The pendulum. hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And becomes Queen of England. Apparently, Um, many members of the court are holding a grudge against her
0: already mm -hmm. at this
1: point. And a lot of people in England are starting to spread some nasty rumors about her from the get-go. As you do. Right. She ends up giving birth to
0: a little girl. Mm, Who would become? Queen Elizabeth I. And she's probably, I don't know if she's more famous or infamous than her mother. Well, she's definitely prolific in... English royal history as well.
1: Mm. I think at this point, Henry is disappointed that he still doesn't have a male heir to the throne. Right. So Anne's thinking, well, I'm going to have to give birth to a son for Henry, or eventually he's going to be giving me the boot too. Just like the last wife. Exactly. And unfortunately she does. I believe, have two more pregnancies. Yes. That didn't work out.
0: And right. So she, she miscarries. And she,
1: I believe, was probably in fear for maybe not her life, but maybe like just her reputation. Is Henry going to stay with me? All these things, I'm sure. It well, her head.
0: and you have to remember at this point, I mean, in any royal history, it doesn't matter what country it's in, right? The queen has one job and that is to provide male heirs. Period. Right end of story. Like that is you, that is it. That's what you're here to do. And so when you can't do that, I would think that that would cause a whole lot of issues in society as well as for your own mental health and et cetera. I agree. Before we go into the accusations and the downfall of this lovely woman, let's take some time here to talk about... The beneficial things that Anne actually did for English society, because she was very charitable. She did a lot of good things. There's
1: a quote by a man named Lancelot, not the one you're thinking from the King Arthur legends, but he says about Anne for her behavior, manners, attire, and tongue, she excelled them all. And I think when he's saying tongue, he means when she speaks. Yes, correct. (laughs) so y'all get your minds out the gutter Anne is often called a feminist or a women's rights activist unbeknownst to her who was clearly before her time for a couple of reasons right inadvertently her relationship with henry caused the king to split from the Roman Catholic Church, which we mentioned. The church refused to annul his marriage to Catherine and so led to King Henry establishing the Church of England. This ultimately led to annulments and divorces being an acceptable mode of exiting or ending a marriage from either party.
0: Which is why we can thank the the fact that the divorce rate now is so high. (laughs) I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Well, you know,
0: we could get into
1: all those. Oh yeah. That's a whole other do topic. I that is the thing that we have the ability.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: And also, as we've already mentioned, Anne refused to just be Henry VIII's mistress, which may seem you know, typical today, like for someone to be having an affair and they go, well, I don't want to just be your mistress. We have to get married. But <laughs> for this time period and their status, that kind of demand or ultimatum was sort of unheard of. Right. Exactly women in the court were expected to be where they were expected to be mistresses for these powerful men and to basically keep their mouths shut about it. They had to just suck it up and do it.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. They had no
1: right to demand anything from a man of these powerful positions. And so, and she
0: didn't, yeah, she wasn't subordinate in any way. Exactly. She wasn't going to let a man, even a king, use her as a well piece of use me. her for his carnal purposes, his carnal pleasures. Yeah, and <laughs> that voice that you just used is kind of scary.
1: Is scary. <laughs> it was supposed to be sexy.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think that I can, you know, call it sex line and hear
1: this. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, uh, and last but not least, Anne was also a philanthropist. It was customary for the queen to give alms to a charity, but Anne actually went above and beyond what was expected. According to an article on pomius.com, they say Anne gave frequently and generously to the poor, often in the form of coins that she handed out herself. Yeah, she was quite well-known for
0: charitable giving. Let's now talk about some of the ridiculous accusations, Henry's mistresses, because it's interesting, right? So these women are supposed to submit to these powerful men, uh, and yet these men get to do what they please, whether they are committed or not. (laughs) Just running around court like a bunch of dogs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> having whoever they want and then telling them to shut up about it like ugh. anyway and henry was the ringleader right so during anne's most trying times her husband
0: and the king
1: henry the eighth took a keen liking to one of her attendants he has a i'm sensing like a pattern here you know
0: i feel like there's a deep-seated trauma there that's unresolved maybe maybe you're right yeah and this
1: lady's name was jane seymour we're not talking dr quinn medicine that is
0: exactly what i was gonna say were you (laughs) every time that i like even growing up started learning about all this yeah like jane seymour what (laughs) dr quinn man what was that
1: she came out with some jewelry it was like the infinity hearts or something it was like jane seymour for k jewelers
0: yeah that's like 90s
1: (laughs) (laughs) what you talking about i was born in 2000s no i'm just kidding Mm. so so, okay so in 1536 anne boleyn was accused of horrible things crimes Mm -hmm. which anyone who was close to her knew were false accusations some of the accusations were adultery witchcraft incest and treason. The adultery was said to have been between her and five other men, one of which was supposedly her own brother. Wow. I think that was the biggest slap in the face. Right. Because apparently they were close that, you know, just in relationship wise, they just, they're a brother and sister. And so for people to accuse her of something so heinous I'm sure she was distraught. Mm. And then of course, in addition, now witchcraft wasn't one of her charges, but it was an accusation that people Mm. were throwing around and that Henry also believed. They said that she was a witch and that she carried marks of a witch, including a sixth finger, though this has never been proven, and a when on her neck, which is basically like a cyst. Mm for which she covered with a necklace or high-collared dresses and they also said that she had enchanted Henry VIII into marrying her in the first place and that she gave birth to monsters.
0: Yeah, and I think he was he was famously quoted as saying that she in, in enchanted him mm-hmm. to marry him. Yep. Like he he made that direct directly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Of course he did. It's never his fault. One of the charges that was brought up, another one was treason. Mm. And this was because they said that Anne was plotting to murder Henry by way of poisoning, which also kind of went along with the witch accusation because poisonings were a common basically trait of witches back then. Everyone thought that witches were also poisoners.
0: That's, that's really interesting too, because if you look back on historical true crime, women period- were poisoners Mm -hmm. because it was the easiest format for a woman who was smaller in stature to use against men or women larger. And it was just cleaner. And you know what I mean? Like There was actually, there was a podcast that my
1: daughter and I were just listening to that was talking about a woman who was famous for this in Italy, actually. And I can't remember her name. I wish I could remember. She had basically, she was running a business for women. She would give them poisons that then they would then give to their husband so that they could get out of the marriage. Mm. It was like a yeah. big thing. And she supposedly confessed to like 600 deaths.
0: Yeah. And I think too, like we were saying before how... Henry broke from the Catholic church because back then there was no divorce. Mm-hmm. So I think poisoning was used because there was no divorce. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's exactly no I mean.
0: right. That's what they were saying about this woman
1: in Italy that had provided the poisons to all these people is because she initially did it to one of her husbands who was very abusive mm, and there was yeah. no, there was no way to get out of it. There was no divorce. So, I mean, not so, were saying that again that's good, but you know, that is the reason.
0: Divorce can be a good thing. Exactly. So you don't poison your husband. <laughs>
1: right. Just okay. you know, poison him with love. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so alongside of Anne, her brother was also tried and convicted of, of the charges. Mm. I think there was four other men as well. Yes. Correct. Scholars and historians agree that the charges brought against Anne were unfounded because many of the date for these supposed affairs were erroneous. She had alibis. She was accused of having extramarital affairs with a man who was in a totally different region of England. At the time that she was actually recovering from childbirth elsewhere. Mm. And that's just one example. There's other examples of them saying, well, you know, she was seducing this man in such and such a castle when she had eyewitness accounts of being somewhere else.
0: Right. And you have to remember too, for that time period and for their status, and would never have been left alone. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, it would have been a very rare thing for her to ever be left alone because she always had so servants. always up your butt? Like constantly? Yeah. I mean, there were even servants who slept in her room Ugh. at night. So <laughs> to think that she could just go and have an affair at any point in time with yeah. with she people constantly. To, like, that would be like some covert stuff right there. Yeah. And especially because even though she had servants, how many of them were actually loyal to her? Probably not any of them. True. They would probably all tell on her in a heartbeat. Some of them are probably mistresses for her husband. So. Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Crazy. Like Jane
1: Seymour, but anyway, (laughs) Jane Seymour, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Uh, so, in addition to her husband wanting to be rid of her, there were also some theories that her political stances may have fueled the indictment. Mm. The man named Thomas Cromwell, whom we discussed a little bit earlier, reportedly didn't like her because she disagreed with his plans for building more monasteries. Mm. And because she had a pro French sort of diplomatic way of thinking, which was going against his Roman Catholic agenda. Mm. And so he's believed to potentially have been responsible for the initial accusations.
0: Yes. And he's just a peach.
1: We like this guy.
0: He also blamed Anne for the death of his beloved mentor, who was Cardinal Wolseley. Oh, so how we had a lot of people for that. (sighs) I can't remember the details, but I know that he blamed her okay. um, for his death. And so he also was responsible for drawing out the initial charges. Now, whether he did that on his own or at the direction of Henry VIII, which is probably more likely. So Henry VIII was probably like, OK, she's not giving me a son. She's not subordinate. She has this handmaiden that I want to be with, and I need and her you six to. Six fingers creeping them out. And There's, what? Her sixth finger is creeping them out. <laughs> 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 and she's got extra digits. No. And, <laughs> but uh, so Henry probably said, to Thomas Cromwell, because he was a close, trusted advisor to Henry. Mm-hmm. So Henry was probably like, look, you need to get rid of this chick, and I don't know how to do it. So, figure it out yeah and so this is what ensued and i don't know if henry necessarily intended for her to die to be rid of her but it all worked out in his favor so i don't think he was um super hurt over it i mean i feel like these people should be busier
1: than like running around and and particularly (laughs) henry like having all these affairs do you know how much time that takes like didn't he have a job of being a king or is this what kings did this is what kings did. They just did people and then like accuse them of awful things, apparently.
0: I know particularly in Henry VIII's reign, and I think that it's pretty prominent across the board for uh, royalty, heads of state, monarchies. There is like a small Congress of people who are your advisors whether it's on war, whether it's on matters of state, blah, 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 diplomacy, et cetera. And they pretty much pull the strings and tell you what's going on. And like, you do get final say over things, but what you have a say on really depends on what they've been doing. Wow. Yeah. So. Alrighty then. So he had a lot of time to. Oh yeah. He was well known to be, you know, he went on hunt, lots of boar hunting. He was well in his later days he became overweight and he loved luxury so you know food wine women all of it i mean i don't blame him those are
1: three very good things <laughs> but
0: we'll, we'll we'll pull it
1: back around and we'll talk about the hero of the tale which is Anne. Mm. sadly she dies in this tale she's she's executed But it is said by her confidants and her friends that she went boldly, calmly, and joyfully to her death. Mm. So to quote history, Anne prepared herself to die that day, making her last confession and celebrating the mass in front of Sir William Kingston, constable of the Tower of London. Mm. Some guy with a crazy name reported to Holy Roman Emperor Charles V that before and after her receiving the Holy Sacrament, she affirmed on peril of her soul's damnation that she had not misconducted herself so far as her husband, the King was concerned. Mm. So to me, that convinces me that she wasn't guilty of these things. I don't know why it just does. I just believe her.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, back then damnation was a serious thing. True. So you're saying she could have like at the last minute be like, I didn't do it. Forgive well, me. yeah, I mean, the fear between heaven and hell and purgatory and, you know, ca- the Catholic afterlife was real. Yeah. So,
1: yes, you may have a valid point there. I mean, she could have lied, but then that's sinning, too. So so Anne was killed by beheading at the Tower of London on May 19th, 1536. Let us note that this was just three years of marriage with Henry, only three years of being the Queen of England. <laughs> yeah. And following that, the details, once again, are kind of muddy, similar to her birth, sadly. She is thought to have been about 35 years old at the time of her death. And sources claim her remains were placed into a chest because no one bothered to provide a coffin and then laid to rest in the chapel of St. Peter ad vincula.
0: Yeah, they were placed in an arrow chest.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And think that I also read that... She was placed in a, like nobody got her, got a coffin or anything like that. They didn't prepare for what to do with her body because they all just assumed that she'd be put into this. Nobody got her a coffin because they just assumed that she would end up in this arrow chest because this arrow chest was also filled with the ashes of five other women who had been beheaded. (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Yeah. She wasn't even get like going to get her own space.
1: (laughs) So no proper funeral, really? No. It's awful. Which explains a little bit as to why she, her ghost still may be hanging around. I mean, obviously the whole thing is tragic, but also not having the proper funerary rites can, by tradition, cause
0: a ghost mm. or a haunting, right? Yes. Spirits who are unrestful. So where has she appeared over the years? There, There's been a couple places actually,
1: but- Before we get into her, her haunts, there's a Tudor era poem originally attributed to her. Like they said that she had written it, but it was actually written after her execution. Okay. And it goes, Oh, death, rock me asleep. Bring on my quiet rest. Let pass my very guiltless ghost. Out of my careful breast, ring out the doleful knell. Let it sound my death tell, for I must die. Creepy. I know it is. It's creepy and sad. So I chance. feel like it's no wonder that people have been seeing the ghost of Boleyn for centuries. I mean, her, her life was kind of tragic, especially at the end. Mm. Her death was tragic. And then the funeral like wasn't even a funeral.
0: <laughs> I don't think her death was tragic. I think it was traumatic. Oh, for sure. dramatic and tragic.
1: And I mean, just everything that led up to it. Like imagine, imagine loving someone and trying your best to, to please them and doing everything you possibly can, you know, for your country, for your family, what have you. And then just to turn around and people be like, you're a witch and you're cheating on your husband with your your brother and all these crazy things hmm. going through all of that sitting on trial with some of your family present and actually Anne's father was on the jury. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just sad. I just, I, I feel bad for her. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder that sh- her spirit may come and go, or maybe it's just residual energy. I don't know. But well, mm-hmm. either way, the most famous Anne Boleyn haunting is at the Tower of London. I mean, I think that makes sense. Right. There's been many documented sightings of her there. Guardsmen are the usual witnesses and have rep- reported seeing the headless ghost of her roaming the tower and the chapel since the early 1800s, which I find interesting because this was, you know, what, like three centuries later almost? Yeah. Two guardsmen actually claim that she walked right into their bayonet. Mm. If some of this could be a case of mistaken identity too. Mm, could be. You know, because I'm sure there was more women that were behead- beheaded at the Tower of London.
0: Uh, yes, like Henry's fifth wife. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's another story. <laughs> exactly.
1: But yeah, they've seen her image walking between the tower and the chapel and then eventually sinking back into the spot where her remains are. And then on Christmas Eve, the sorrowful ghost of Anne Boleyn is said to haunt Heaver castle in Kent, which we've said this is where Anne Boleyn grew up. Mm-hmm. She's been cited there many times. She's said to take walks, stopping to stand under an oak tree where supposedly she and King Henry had courted. Hmm. They hollered at each other. So <laughs> <laughs> I, like the whole courted word, you know, it gets me every time. But anyway,
0: I was going to say, I think it's a lost art because what, now each other. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, you know, swiping left or right or whatever. I was going (laughs) to say kids, kids these days don't even like call
1: each (laughs) other; They just text.
0: Well, I can't really say anything. I met my husband on Facebook, so.
1: (laughs) Well, I feel you on that, but you remember back in the day when we had like landline phones and your boyfriend and your mom would cut in and be like, it's 10 o'clock, get off the phone. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Kids these days will never know. All right. Anne likes to also walk across a bridge and interestingly drop a sprig of holly into the water during the winter holidays. Hmm. So there's got to be some kind of symbolism with that. And I haven't unraveled it just yet, but yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting. I was just thinking winter holidays, holly king, oak king, mm-hmm. but that's when the holly king dies. Well, there you go.
1: Mm. Maybe that's it
0: could be, but I doubt it because, because they were so Christian. So Hallie also represents eternal life,
1: right? Because it is an evergreen Mm, true. And the red berries with the church came to represent the blood of Christ. Mm. So who knows? Maybe there's something there, but last haunting of Anne Boleyn on the anniversary of her death. It is said that her headless ghost is seen riding towards one of her supposed childhood homes in Norfolk on a carriage pulled by headless horses. I don't know like why there's the horses have lost their heads, but apparently they have. I think that's an embellishment. I think so too. Her head and then they also say that her head sits on her lap looking outwards trying desperately to find her home and family. I feel like this is just something that someone
0: Yeah, this isn't
1: this doesn't for the heck of it. it.
0: Yeah. This is like somebody took Sleepy Hollow (laughs) and infused it into the Tudor narrative. No doubt. Uh,
1: No doubt. Well, so that basically sums up the ghost sightings of Anne. So the question stands, is Anne Boleyn a hero?
0: Yeah, let's talk about it. What societal changes or global changes happened, right? So we had the English Reformation is a direct link to Anne Boleyn. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think that she ever intended for that to happen.
1: No, I don't think so either.
0: So I wouldn't say that she was like the champion of the English Reformation. It just kind of... Maybe a
1: catalyst though, like unannounced to her. Yeah, Yeah. So I do think it's cool how she conducted herself though in the courts. Like she wasn't going to be just another Mm. subservient, quiet woman. Right. And she kind of stuck to, you know, she stuck to who she was and what she believed in. And she wasn't afraid to voice that. Right. Exactly.
0: I feel like, okay. So if it wasn't for Anne Boleyn, would we even have divorce or would we still be poisoning husbands who were abusive? (laughs) Oh my God.
1: Who knows? I mean, I, I feel like eventually it would have happened. However, it might not be, it might not, it might not have looked like what it looks like today. Right. It was prolonged. Like, or if it, you know, if it happened way later. True. And what about the kindness that she was known to show to the poor and how highly her friends and confidants spoke of her? I don't think we can deny those things.
0: Right. And I think back then it was not common for people of wealth to be as charitable as she was, nor do I think it was, I think it was actually kind of looked down upon by members of the court, by other royals that she was like personally going out and doing this stuff. Mm. I agree. There's always going to be haters. So for, (laughs) for feminism, for women's right, for the, for charity, uh, for altruism. I think that she definitely is a heroic figure. I agree. We always agree on this stuff. (laughs) Most of the time, most of the time, most of the time we do, we have like mind meld sometimes
1: the only topic. And I'm just going to drop the one word and then we're not going to go into (laughs) it. But if you listen to us, you'll know what I, what I'm saying when I say Valhalla. (sighs) Oh, Uh, we're okay, we're not gonna go there. We're not gonna go there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, though. <laughs> it's
0: so true. Like the one thing that we could debate. Okay. Do you want to yes. wrap it up?
1: Yes. I. We should say first that. Be sure you are following our sister podcast called Amir well, because in the next few weeks, we'll be releasing this episode's shadow show in which we explore the many darker facets of Anne Boleyn's life, reign, and death. Then you can decide for yourself if she was truly a hero, a villain, or just a human being living a complex life, just like the rest of us.
0: Yeah. Whether she was one, the other, both, neither, all of the above.
1: We'd like to give a big otherworldly thank you to all of our listeners, whether you are new or returning, feel free to email your feedback and inquiries to burning hallows productions, all one word at gmail.com. Stay tuned next week for another episode of otherworldly Oracle official podcast. And remember whether you're in the land of the fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.